All right, so we're getting back to uh, the paradoxes of the Bible. I never can say that word. Is it paradox or paradoxes? Because that's kind of weird. So anyways, if you hear me say paradox one time, it's paradoxes. So uh, last week we had a, um, we looked at the ministry of motherhood. And because and, that's kind of a paradox in itself because, you know, you never understand. Um, sometimes in, in motherhood, you, they, say, they say, oh, it's a wonderful thing. And you're neck deep in laundry. You go, where's the wonderfulness at? You know, the dirty dishes, where's the wonderfulness in that? But, you know, as we saw last week, when, when uh, uh, somebody comes down to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that's your, that's your son, there's where the ministry of motherhood lies. So it was a wonderful Mother's Day, and looking at motherhood as a mission field. And it's right in your very own home. And many times that we think that the mission field has got to be this exciting, dangerous, far-off place um, that's far away from us. And the closer you get to home, the less intriguing that the work seems that we have to do it and the sacrifice that you put in seems less exciting and I, I, I quoted this last week and says everybody wants to save the world but nobody wants to help mom do the dishes and so when you're a mother the church is not asking you all the time how is your ministry going matter of fact sometimes the church doesn't even know you have a ministry at home when you talk to other believers, a lot of times they don't, they don't think about, hey, what are you, they're not in awe about what you're sacrificing, what you're giving up for the sake of the gospel. People are not pressing you to, for the needs that you might have and how they can pray for you. It doesn't feel intriguing or glamorous at all. Your work is normal because it's as close to home as you can possibly be. And we looked at how the mother can take the everyday mundane repetitiveness of motherhood and see it as a mission field. And I reminded of last week how just wonderful it is that as Colton came down and he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, how wonderful that must have been, not only for me, his uncle, but for his mom, his dad, his grandparents. I know without a shadow of a doubt that his mom played a huge role as she and her husband began to love him and discipline him and encourage him. I always wanted God to be a part of his life, and you saw the fruits of their labor, the fruits of her labor, come out in that. It's his need to understand, hey, <laughs> I need Jesus. I don't need him just now. I need him for the rest of my life. And the most important thing that you moms ever did and she did for him is pray for him. Pray for your children. Kids, pray for your parents. And last week, my prayer was that you guys, meaning mothers, I didn't mean that derogatory, but guys, I was trying to... Not guys, guys, but I was trying to group y'all all together. Begin to see that it all starts 
at home. The roles that you play as mom and dads in June, we'll get to you, but the roles that you play are vital in the mission field. And, and, and it's a springboard to be used as a missionary. You are a missionary. Just as much as Shadrach is a missionary, you are as well. And don't think because you're at home that you're not important. Just because you're not seeing the results that you feel that what you do is insignificant. Don't stop being a missionary. Let me say that again. Parents, moms, don't stop being a missionary. Just because your kids are grown, don't stop being a missionary to them. Just because your child has walked away, don't stop being a missionary to them. Just because your child is not where they're at, don't stop being a missionary. Don't stop loving. Don't stop disciplining them. Don't stop discipling them. Don't stop reaching. Don't lose hope. And I, I love this. My parent was never like this. My parents. My parent was never like this. A lot of times people see parenthood as, well, I got them for 18 years and they're done. What about me? I never left home. <laughs> Motherhood is not an 18-year 18, 18 job. It's a lifetime. Until Jesus calls you home, your work is not over. You need your mother, and your mother needs you. And so that was one paradox that we looked at. And today we're going to look at another one that Jesus said. And it's talking about weak become strong. Now, that's kind of crazy, but, and I apologize, I got a little dehydrated at that wedding yesterday. Um, so, I need water more than, I mean, now than I do ever. So, my mouth is a little dry. But it was like the surface of the sun out there. And when you got a black suit on, I look like a, hog baking, <laughs> baking in the oven. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I am big, so I'm like a hog. Don't think I'm no skinny person. <laughs> but I, I want you to look at, when you look in today's world, people see weakness as this impairment. I, I even see it a, a, as an impairment. I remember that... Um, the beginning of this year when I took over ag, you know, I wanted to, to, to blaze my own trail. And I wanted to be this, this ag person that everybody said, man, I tell you what, that Jeffrey, he has really just moved this ag program in, in the direction it needs to be. And I said I was going to do it all by myself. I was not going to need help from anybody. Because what? We equate weakness with what? Impairment. It's almost like a disease. You're weak? <laughs> You're weak? And it's, it's, if you remember in school, when, when teams would pick, when we'd pick out teams, the weak kids were always chosen last. It was rather as, okay, well, I must, if I've got to pick you, I'll take Johnny. Rather than, hey, I want him 
as a desire. And I know, like I said, that for me, I, I tried to do this whole year without any help, and I failed miserably. That I had to allow people in my life to help me. And it was wonderful to watch us all work together because they brought ideas I never thought of. And so from a young age, we're taught that weakness is a fault versus a strength. And our world today is so afraid to admit that we need, we need help, that we mask it in our lives. We try to cover it up. We try to cover our weaknesses up rather than using them as a, a, a springboard to say, look, yeah, I may be weak, but how I'm able to do this is not from my own strength. And I promise you that we do that so much that we, that we, that we never see the beauty of weakness and how God can use it to allow his strength to come shining through. Now, in our, our, our religion, we have a special connection to weakness, although it's, yeah, it's counterintuitive. Nobody, our world hates to admit it. Jesus always came preaching a, a message of weakness rather than, than the human strength, and it's because we are all weak in certain areas of our life. It don't matter who you are, how strong you are, you could be the strongest man on earth. There is some area in your life that you have weakness. That each of us, regardless of who we are, our socioeconomic background, our racial background, whatever it is, we all have that in common that in some area of our life, we are weak. From preacher to politician. We're all weak. Human beings are, are extremely flawed. So when Jesus preached about embracing our weakness, that's what instantly unites us. Our weakness in each other unites us. Because it's, we know that in our weakness... There's his strength. And his message became relevant to everyone. And it's a common thread that brings us all together. That's something that world religions, and I don't really call, let me just kind of clarify that. Christianity may be a religion, but if you are a believer in what the Bible teaches it's far beyond Christianity. Because Christianity is how the world sees us. And mm, we need to be a little bit different than how the world sees us. So when I say neither religion, I'm talking about other, other stuff. That's something that neither religion nor politics could ever do for you. Today we're going to kind of look at the paradox of how our weakness can become his strength. Now notice I said his strength. Not your strength, his strength. And how do we embrace that weakness to experience the power that Jesus has? How can Paul say that when he is weak, he is strong? Because I know for all you English teachers, 
That's almost kind of like an oxymoron. How can you be weak and strong? That's like jumbo shrimp. It don't, it don't go together. So how can you be weak and strong? How can Paul say that? What does he even mean by that? And it's, it's, it's a, a common statement that really for the New Testament part of it where Paul was preaching and teaching, people were like, what? In your weakness? You're strong? And, and Paul used it as a, well, yeah, man, let me, let me sit on and explain it to you. And so we're going to look at that. So if you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 7. And I'm reading out of the uh, New Living Translation, so it may be a little bit different than what you have, but it's okay. We're going to get through it this morning. And it says that even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness. Well, what is Paul? It's very, very counterculture. He says, I'm not going to boast about my strength. I'm going to boast about how weak I am. I'm going to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So let me give you a little bit of context before we pray about what Paul is talking about. So Paul is writing, obviously, to the church in Corinth, hence Corinthians. Now, the church in Corinth is, is they do good for a little while, then they get an upheaval, and Paul has to write a letter again. And so at one point, they begin to question Paul's spiritual authority, and so Paul reminds them that God's power is brought out of people's weaknesses, because they're beginning to start saying, look what we did, look what we've allowed to accomplish, and Paul's saying, no, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute. And there were so many divisions in the church that it upset Paul, and they were, they were not united, they were not humble at all, and so Paul he goes in the first part and he testifies about what he was allowed to experience. And then he says that I don't want to boast about myself any longer. He says, matter of fact, I'm going to boast about my weakness because in my weakness, Christ's strength and Christ's power comes out of that. He says, so I no longer am going to talk about what I've done, but I'm going to talk about how weak I was there was power that came through me. I want you to pray with me this morning. Dear God, we just thank you for today. God, we just thank you for the ability to come before you this morning and just worship you with our, our, our music and now, and now the word. And God, this paradox, as we begin to unwrap it to what it means to really be weak and then be strong, 
God, I pray that we would leave here today and we would be different than when we came in to understand that no longer do we need to mask our weakness. That we need to boast about our weaknesses because it's in our weakness you are made strong through us. God, I pray that the more we would just move our, remove ourselves from the equation, the more you would be shown through us. God, I pray that you would have your time this morning. God, I pray that we have open hearts and open minds as we begin to just share in your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So how do we, how do, we do this weak equals strong thing, okay? It's about embracing your inability. Because really that's a prerequisite to experiencing God's ability is you don't have to go hunting for weakness. Life has a way of kind of letting it show up in your life, right? Whether it's our kids, our marriage, or just everyday life. The world has a funny way of kind of letting us know, hey, you're not as strong as you think you are. Weakness, when we think we're strong, weakness kind of wiggles its way and goes, hello, here I am. And it's these moments that show up all the time in our life. And for some of us, it's our age. Now, don't throw, start throwing tomatoes at me yet. It's the older we get to realize our bodies are not able to do what it once did. Although you, we keep trying to do what we normally used to do. And it's, we can't engage things with the same energy level. Y'all, I'm right there. The more that this the more that this disease robs me is the more I realize I'm not where I once was. And again, this message preached to me more than anybody else because I used to mask it. Is I don't need to let anybody see my weakness. I don't need to let anybody see my weakness. I need to show people how strong. I need to push through, push through, push through, push through. Because I was trying to mask something that, that, I, that the world said, hey, is... That's a flaw. Y'all tell, tell me if I'm wrong, but the world looks at your weakness and goes, mm, that is a flaw that you need to remove. And you just feel so victimized. And you just feel like you got to mask it all the time. But the more that I read this, the more that I boast about how weak I am, the more Christ is going, let me give you a little bit more strength. Let me give you a little bit more of my power. Let me give it to, to finally where... They no longer see my weakness. They see his strength. But you realize that you bump up against all these things that you don't have the requirements that you once had to do or, or you don't have the skill set to revolve the issue and you just you get so physically and mentally drained. And you actually have to turn to others and have to say, can you help me? And I want to tell you, it's, it's regardless if it's, it's parenting or marriage or whatever, weakness is going to, I promise you, show up. The question is, is do we not have weakness? The question is, is what do you do with it? It's not whether you're going to face it in your life. It's are you willing to embrace it? And if so, to what end are you going to embrace it? 
And I think sometimes we hold a, a misguided notion that, either, that we either embrace power or weakness, that we never, see our, we never see power coming through our weakness. And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul is developing this whole new way, this whole way of understanding the relationship between power and weakness in our life. Paul is going to develop the idea that it's in, in embracing our weakness that we become to see the real power in the kingdom, the real power to living. Paul admits that in his weakness, he is strong. And when we are weak, God is demonstrated. God is telling us not to worry about the I can'ts in our life. Because his desire is to pour his power and strength into your life. And if you're so focused on the I can'ts and the woe is me, you will completely miss his power and his strength in your life. So much to the point that people will begin to, to see the weakness and not the strength. But God is telling us, you don't worry about that. You don't worry about that because what I'm going to do is people are not going to look and say, oh, look how weak you are. They're going to say, where did, you, where did you get that strength from? I know in my own life it is just my inability is people ask me all the time, how are you able to do what you're able to do? How are you able to go on? And I honestly, I don't know it's not me. It's because I'm beginning to elect, I'm beginning to be proud of my weakness. The power of God shines bright in my life in spite of my weakness, in spite of my failures. God desires to take out that weakness and fill us with his strength. And I ask, you, I ask us all this question this morning, really. Why would we not want that? Why would we not want that power and that strength in our life? I would much rather have his strength than mine. Because here's the thing this morning. If Christ can raise, if Christ can raise Lazarus from the dead, if God can raise Christ from the dead, why would I not want that power? Because my strength pales in comparison to that. Now I want you to, Isaiah 40, and I love this verse and we use it a lot, but I want to look at it and it says, Isaiah 40, starting in 28, it says, Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all, all the earth. He never grows weary. Never grows weak. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fail and will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run, not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Isaiah is reminding us that he says, Hey, hey, hey. Even those young guys, they're going to get tired sometimes. So don't look at them and go, man, I'm envious of your energy and your strength. 
The world should look at you and go, I am envious of your strength. Because I may be walking, but you're running. How many of you know that? You're flying. How are you able to do that? My weakness, God's allowed to shine through. In this whole paradox, there's a purpose and a promise. I'm going to tell you the purpose first, and I'm going to tell you the promise. The purpose for God over and over again through Satan's harassment in, in your life is humility. Paul was in danger of being prideful and, and, and self-exaltant. And God took the steps to make him humble. And I, I can't help but to, can, to look at that and, and look at my own life and go, maybe what I'm going through is my thorn. Because I too like to boast in myself. God thinks that humility is more important than comfort. Humility is more important than freedom from pain because he will give us a mountaintop experience and then bring us through anguish if we think that we have risen above the need for our total resilience and reliance on him, on his grace and on his mercy. So his purpose is our humility and our reliance on him. And humility allows us to show the world honestly what Jesus really looked like. It's something that we should not be ashamed of. It's something that we should try not to mask or get rid of. Many times that we think that, that humility is this insecure, indecisiveness attribute that we should really not have and it's really our utter dependence on God. Where we're not scrambling for prestige, scrambling for power, we're happy being a servant because we know serving people is a way for Him to be glorified. And honestly, for, for people to see the power of Jesus. Because uh, I want to tell you what we suffer from. We suffer from humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from ambition, and modesty has settled upon conviction, where, it's never, where it was never meant to be. Man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth, the divine truth in God. But now today, that's been reversed. Nowadays, part of man is that man doesn't exert himself at all, and the part that he doubts is exactly the part he not ought to doubt, which is the divine reason. The old humility made a man doubtful about his efforts, which about made him work, want to work harder. But now this new humility that this new age offers is now that says man is doubtful about his aims, which makes him stop working altogether. We're on the road to producing a race of man who's too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication tables. We wonder why the world doesn't look at our creation and see the awe and the wonder 
in God. It's because we've made a generation that doesn't believe in anything. You don't believe that there is something higher than you. But I want to tell you about the promise this morning. Far too often we think that we've got to have it all together all the time. We push ourselves and strive to be this perfect thing all the time. Nothing can be out of place. The world's got to look at us. People have got to look at us and go, oh, I am just so envious of that person. They've got it all together. And when we can't have it all together, or when we, well, I should say when we can't, no, when we don't have it all together, we cry out to God in anger and frustration. Now, I'm reminded of when Jesus taught us how to pray, and he said that, give us today. So everybody say today. today. Give us today our daily bread. His grace is available for you today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the future because today has enough problems in itself. We're too busy worried about, oh, how this is going to turn out. He says he will give you what you need today. Weakness is an opportunity for God to work powerfully in your life. Even when our flesh and our heart fail us, his strength is there. In our weakness, people will see that it's nothing that we've done in our own, but it's God working through us. It points us away from our own abilities and our own efforts, and it puts us onto him and his all-sufficient grace. When you yield to him, you will experience power at work in you, transforming your heart, transforming your mind. The purpose of humility is to break down everything that is about self, where there's no room for God and his power and his his strength, but the promise is that you get grace, not just once, but every day. And the beautiful thing is that it allows us to see that we're not worthy, we're not deserving, but God in his all-sovereignty gives us his grace and his strength so that people will not only see him, but they'll see his power. Now I ask this question, because I ask myself this question. I wonder how many times we've rejected humility because the world saw it as an impairment. I wonder how many times we have just tried to mask it instead of basking in it. That's essentially what Paul's saying. He says, don't waller in your weakness, bask in it. Oh, we waller in weakness, don't we? We waller in the woe self is me. But he's saying, boast in your weakness. Because I wonder what God was really trying to do. He was really trying to move and work in your life, but you're like, nope, can't do it. Because if I do it, then people are going to talk about how weak I am. But we never understand. They're not going to see your weakness. They're going to see his strength. 
Psalm 73, 26 says, My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. I want to close in this. But looking at this paradox, I want to remind you that in order for you to see this paradox and for you to be able to understand what it means and you to really to grow deeper in it, you got to embrace your weakness. Because it means that you've looked at yourself long enough to know that you can't make it without looking to another. And who is that another? That's him. Embracing your weakness means that you know that you need God, and you don't need God, you need him very badly. And when you discover that, it refuses to leave us alone until you're changed. It's affecting, it will affect your church, your communion, and your commission. The church is, is a, a, a supernatural community because we don't do supernatural. God does. Because if I was to tell you the statistics of what has happened in this church in the last four weeks, it has blown people away. Ten people, one rededicated their life, one got saved. In four weeks. In four weeks. There's nothing that I have done. There's nothing that I've done. Matter of fact, there's sometimes I've got up there, I thought, how weak am I? Because again, I tried to mask it like the world. I got to cover it up. And I wonder how many times that God was wanting to say, if you'll just step out of the way just a little bit more, I'll give you a little bit more power and a little bit more strength. Because we're too weak to fabricate what's been going on here. It's nothing that we have done. Embracing our weakness brings about a surge of vigor because we realize that our work must be in God's power, not ours. Let me give you an example about this. I saw this on the Internet about when you you tap into God's power through your, your humility and your weakness. It's like taking a 10-speed bicycle and upgrading it to a Ferrari. That's what happens when you allow your weakness to just allow, allow his strength to shine through. Embracing our weakness brings more peace because we realize that God loves us by his grace, not by the fact that we're strong. Our joy doesn't rest in our ability, but the approval of God. One whom chose before the ages to bring about Christ to his own purpose and his own grace. Embracing our weakness maximizes our fruitfulness. When we're stuck on ourselves, we create a ceiling for God's potential. We define our possibilities by our capabilities. 
not his. And if you stare at yourself long enough, your capacity to dream will dwindle down to nothing. That's a safe and that's a sad way to live. Refusing to let your dreams extend beyond what you know or what you can do. It's also a sign that you mistake yourself to be stronger than you are. Knowing that knowing that you're weak ruins self-sufficiency. Would you stand with me this morning? Have a shout out or prayer request? Comment on this video or send us a message. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more information and daily encouragement. Thank you so much for joining us.